I've always been a nonconformist. I always do first and foremost what makes sense and what the client needs at that particular time. And so to bring counseling into the kitchen takes so much pressure off of people that it just makes total sense to me. And so the more I did this and the more I did it with different populations, with couples, with senior citizens, uh, with families, the more I realized I was really on to something that could become a unique form of culinary counseling. And that's what started my junior chef programs. This is the podcast, Creative at the Wheel, and I'm Julie Clare. As a transformational life coach and creativity guide, my life's work is helping people reshape their lives from the inside out. Here, I have deep dive conversations with luminaries who share about their own transformational journeys and how they became soul-sourced and creatively juiced. May their stories uplift and embolden all of us. Let's jump in. Today, my guest is Chef Pam Fanjoy. Pam is a chef and a clinical social worker with a high, highly successful career working with children, adolescents, and families for over 25 years. She now whisks in her culinary passions to her therapeutic work, offering one of the most innovative approaches to well-being I seriously have ever been exposed to. Pam and her team foster joyful, healthy relationships by using delicious, healthy food to facilitate meaningful connection between others. During the pandemic, she, she transformed her 30-seat restaurant to expand her culinary studio so that her team could offer safe, socially distanced programs that reduce the harmful effects of social isolation and built res resiliency for youth, families, and their communities. Um, she's currently in the process of moving and resituating her whole gig here to Guelph, uh, which is also near Ontario, I'm sorry, in Ontario, near Toronto but it is in a different spot than it has been for many years. And we'll talk to Pam about that. In general here, Pam helps people heal and celebrate life through developing a deeper understanding of their own needs and showing them how connection with others can improve their physical and mental well-being. Her offerings include both her gourmet to go marketplace, online store, as well as her junior chef programs, culinary classes, counseling, and more. Welcome in Pam Fanjoy. Oh, it's so wonderful to be here with you this morning, Julie. Thank you for having me. Are you kidding? Thank you for seriously stopping <laughs> between unpacking boxes and waiting for a delivery for your move here and talking with me. So I'm glad we get the chance. I, I want to start. You've got so much going on uh, of interest to me and I think other people. I'd love to start off just really basically how it is you um, are a social worker and a chef. Can you just tell us that kind of origin story so we can meet you in that way? Sure. I, uh, you know, people often wonder what the correlation between the two is. And I actually don't think they're that far apart. I started my social work career off down in Kitchener-Waterloo here in Ontario. I went to Wilfrid Laurier University and very quickly learned that I could help people in many ways as a social worker and have a career that I could constantly evolve and change myself in, which was really exciting to me. Um, so I've been a child and adolescent family therapist 
for 25 years. I worked throughout the GTA, Greater Toronto Area, and I was very fortunate to be able to work in healthcare, education, and I also trained in collaborative law. Um, in 2010, I opened a collaborative law interdisciplinary center in Toronto, and about 50% of the families that I was working with were going through separation, divorce, remarriage, or some alternative form of family reconfiguration. During that time, I realized that after, you know, really about 17 years of social work practice, uh, that I didn't want to burn out in my 40s. I absolutely love and have a passion for working with families and particularly teens that are going through the transition of adolescence to adulthood. We call them transitional youth, which means teens between the age of about 15 and 24. And because I didn't want to burn out, I decided that I needed to do something in my own life just to bring myself pure joy outside of my nine to five work hours. It was then that I decided I would go to cooking school. Why cooking school? Well, believe it or not, in my 40s, I had no idea how to cook, Julie. I believe you. I mean, how many of us really knew how to cook uh, ever? Uh, but seriously, how did you get from not knowing how to cook to culinary school? I well, mean, so I literally Googled that night, uh, how does one learn how to cook? And all these culinary schools popped up. And uh, it was not in the field or the realm of my experience that, you know, there were professionals out there that cooked like chefs. And so I started taking part-time classes at one of our local uh, schools in Toronto, and it took on a life of its own within a year. I started cooking fully prepared meals for the lawyers that I was working in my law practice with, who were simply too busy to cook for their families, but they really valued and wanted healthy, wholesome, locally sourced food. So it was really a perfect marriage because I wanted to practice cooking and they needed meals for their family. So I started this little side gig, which is now our gourmet to go meals that we sell online. And it just took off. And you said it, you said a year within a year, it took off. That meant you started classes by the end of the year, you're cooking and uh, selling to, or giving to, people around you that need this service. Yeah, exactly. So, wow. you know, I, I took, I took uh, new recipes that I was making, particularly baking recipes into our waiting room office and our clients would come in and they'd be able to enjoy some fresh pastries in the morning. And all I asked from them was that they would give us feedback. And then I was selling the meals to the lawyers that I was working with. And, you know, there's nothing like word of mouth to spread a good thing. And largely my business really started with a hobby and word of mouth from customers who appreciated the quality of the food that we were serving and also the convenience when they were living really busy lives, but cared about what they were putting into their bodies. Absolutely. Did you ever wonder if you were going to go when this was taking off fully into the food? 
and lead the social work? Or That's were a you very honest? funny question because I had no idea when I started culinary school in 2011 that I would be doing this now. Um, what ended up happening was I moved out to uh, the rural community that I am just moving from, Hillsburg, and I took a semester off culinary classes and the lawyers that I was cooking for were very concerned that I would stop cooking for them. And so one night uh, I ended up in a bit of a, a bet that I could get into a culinary competition called Cook for the Cure. It was a fundraiser for cancer um, research. And my friends bet me that I could get into it if I could raise the $5,000 needed. And if I got into it with their help, raising those funds, I had to promise them to go back to culinary school and finish my degree. And so that is indeed what happened. I got into that competition and that single day changed the entire trajectory of my career. My God, what a story that is. That is crazy when you think about it, right? But of yeah. course, yeah. you had all this support from friends. I mean, they wanted to, people saw something going on. You were taking a break. And then was it your idea to do the competition? It was my idea to do the competition. I saw a yeah. poster downtown Toronto. Um, yeah. Bobby Flay, who's a, a famous American barbecue uh, food network star, was hosting it. And I really wanted to do it. And like many things in my life, when I set my mind on something, uh, you know, it's not a matter of if, it is always a matter of how and when for me. And this was no different. So I had to raise $5,000 and there was only a week before the competition. Oh my gosh. Yeah, to be eligible. So my friend said, you need to go into the, the boardroom in your office and ask every lawyer that you've been cooking for for the last year to donate $100. Hey, we just took a small pause because there was a bed arriving in Pam's place, uh, given she's in the middle of a move, but we want to get back to the day that changed Pam's life. So take it from here, Pam. Yeah, so we were talking, Julie, about the Cook for the Cure competition yeah. that I went into. And it was a competition that was a black box competition. So the top 50 fundraisers got split into five teams of 10, paired up with a celebrity chef. And we got to go to a cooking school day with these Food Network stars. And then in the evening, we performed the entertainment for the fundraiser and essentially did what's equivalent to a Chopped Canada style performance where you get a black box you don't know what's in it and you have to cook an appetizer a main course and then a dessert with each of the three black boxes that day totally changed the trajectory of my life and my career it was the very first time that not only was I around people who appreciated good food and knew how to cook it and do magic with ingredients that they were just thinking about off the top of their head. But I also saw the incredible healing power of using food in community to do something good. In this case, they were raising funds for cancer research. 
And it really sparked me to think about how I could use food and gathering people, which is what I do as a social worker, to create something that was completely impactful in people's lives. That is such a beautiful story. I cannot tell you. Also, you know, that was one of my questions is of how you started tying uh, cooking to the community and, and, and wellness. So, and what happened? Did you, did they give out awards or was it? um... No, there weren't any awards. The award uh, was really just, you know, doing, doing this wonderful cooking evening and uh, doing some good for the hospital that we were raising funds for. What was simultaneously happening in my private practice was that I was seeing adolescents who really didn't want to come to therapy. They were only coming because their parents were dragging them in to see me. I was seeing two adolescent boys in particular. Both of them coincidentally were around 15 years old. They were um, youth who were going to private schools. You know, their families were well off financially for all intents and purposes looking in from the outside anyone would think that these teens and these families were thriving but they were both really suffering and i had to try as a therapist to reach them what the teens were always interested in during that time was what was going on in my cooking classes because you know they'd often see cooking magazines on my desk, or they'd see my jacket sitting in my office because I'd be going right from work down to my cooking class and I'd have my chef's coat ironed and ready to go. So while I was seeing these boys individually, they were from different families, the issues and concerns that they were both having uh, around addiction issues and school pressures and not fitting in with peers were very similar and both of them didn't want to be coming to counseling and neither of their families would get involved in sessions. And so I decided to use food in my therapy sessions with them uh, because of course, you know, it was uncomfortable for both of us sitting in an office and they didn't want to be there. So I I said to one of them one day, you know, let's, let's go in the kitchen and make a burger. And that's oh my God, and Love that. Yeah, I I started social work in residential uh, child and adolescent treatment centers, um, and I worked with youth that couldn't be maintained either in schools or their homes anymore. And so they would be sent away to these residential homes for usually about a year to work on whatever the issues were that they were having. And then we would try and reintegrate them back into home or school. So I was used to always being adaptable and pliable in how I worked with youth and um, and cooking is just another way to do that. So I now whisk together, you know, 25 years of clinical experience. I'm using actual research-based techniques of cognitive behavioral therapy, narrative systems therapy, family therapy that I've always done, but I'm doing it in a way that's so much more approachable especially to high risk youth or youth who have probably been through therapy or gone to a number of different counselors before and just really don't want to do it that way. We can make change in real concrete life changing ways while we're also teaching them life skills that are no longer being taught 
in school systems and often aren't being taught at home anymore. I hear you. I also, as somebody who brings in drawing and creativity to my mm-hmm. coaching work, I I remember the excitement early on for me. I still have it actually, but it was also full of some trepidation when I just said, you know, we just we just need to draw. We're just going round and round in the loop of kind of story here. And it's so much quicker. And so I brought out, I just had a pad of paper and we just, I asked somebody to draw with me. And um, I'm just wondering on that first burger making, was it, was there an excitement underneath it that you're, you were just going for it? What made sense to you and what you really wanted to do? Was there kind of a fulfillment just in that first, you know, reaching out in that way, taking him and making a burger with him. Just what did, what did, do you remember what that was like? Was it, was there an excitement I, I, there? I yeah. do remember. Yeah. I don't remember there being excitement at the beginning. What I remember is sitting in an office and having a 15 year old in front of me that was really hurting and, and they didn't know how to process that. They didn't know how to find the words which is very common with teenagers because of how their brain development is happening. They didn't know how to find the words to express what was going on for them or what they needed from me to help them. And so I remember distinctly thinking therapy shouldn't be this hard. Um, And I'm a firm believer that while a counselor brings expertise and knowledge about how change happens. Therapy and counseling is a collaborative process between um, a client and their counselor. And so I just thought this isn't working. And so if this isn't working, why sit here for another 45 minutes? Let's try something different and it can't be worse. And so that's what I remember when I said, hey, yeah. when it, do I go see what's in the fridge? Let's see if we can make some burgers. And he just lit up. It was like the pressure valve was released. And uh, and that gave me joy. That made me feel less confined as a counselor to doing things in a traditional way that, you know, you're supposed to do because someone teaches you to do it that way. I've always been a nonconformist. I always do first and foremost what makes sense and what the client needs at that particular time. And so to bring counseling into the kitchen takes so much pressure off of people that it just makes total sense to me. And so the more I did this and the more I did it with different populations, with couples, with senior citizens, uh, with families, the more I realized I was really on to something that could become a unique form of culinary counseling. And that's what started my junior chef programs. Yeah. I, I, I'm eating it up just because I so relate. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I see the pressure sometimes, um, a 60 year old, uh, adult will be, I'll ask her something about, Hey, how's that going? And I can see the freeze. I can see the pressure if she doesn't know yeah. the right words. And this is not even a 15 year old, you know, in a particular kind of developmental stage and of life. And, and then if I just frame it in terms of what the picture she's drawing or moving all of a sudden, uh, there's language and, or something opens up and we can, we can do it together versus I can yeah. just see it. It's like a freeze. So, 
anyway, it's so, I, more, it's so much more collaborative, right? Because you're taking them into a space of creativity and, and yeah. I don't need to tell you this, but maybe for your audience, um, you know, what happens in the brain when you relax and when you go into a space of allowing that creativity to come forward is that you can express yourself differently in many formats when we're anxious our brain goes into a fight or flight mode and we have panic symptoms that actually impede our ability to articulate verbally what is going on for us. And we also have physical symptoms that create increased stress because of the situation we're in. So being able to free someone up to express themselves, whether it's with art, with food, with um, music, it it really is a body, mind, and soul experience. And I think we need to start making greater efforts in our healing work to connect all three of those levels of healing. Absolutely. I'm in. Um, That's what works for me as well. Uh, And uh, so there you are. I mean, we have so many different directions we could go, but I'm thinking... How do we get from there to you? Is it ambition? Is it just natural delight to really growing a business with a team, uh, to having a restaurant? (laughs) (laughs) How did all that expansion happen? Because you became, you had a restaurant uh, in Hillsburg, right? And it was very popular. Uh, I see the lines on the video there, you know, that you show on your website and, and, um, and then you've also got the pandemic, but so you went from there, right? And saying, wow, these two need to go together. How did you nurture also just food for its own sake? Did that just come along with you? I mean, mm-hmm. and not all of your efforts went into food with the counseling. No, that's a great question. So, so part of my deal with winning that cook for the cure was remember I had to go back to culinary right. school and finish off my degree. So I did that and I went down and asked them if I could come to the day classes instead of night classes so I could continue working. And I had a a daughter uh, who was an adolescent herself at that time. And they said, nope, if you want to come to day classes, you've got to come back full time for two years and none of your part time courses are going to count. So that's what I did. And I started working immediately at a really high end amazing culinary place in Toronto called the distillery district, which was a conglomeration of a number of uh, restaurants and catering venues. And I immediately got into high-end catering there. And then uh, I had in the last semester had to do a four month placement. And so I decided to go to France for that. So I did a fine dining placement uh, in France. And that was incredible. I really learned there the essence of farm to table cooking. We literally went to the market every morning to get our produce. And then we would go back and write the menu for dinner that night and, and work on our dish all day and serve 40 guests for dinner. And then when I came back, I realized that my gourmet to go meals, I was doing so much meal preparation for people in the GTA privately that I really needed a facility to cook in my uh, home space. I had, I had built a commercial kitchen there, but it wasn't big enough. I need more space for packaging. And so I ended up 
renting a little kitchen store on the main street of Aaron. And this was in 2014. I graduated uh, a month later from culinary school. And within that year, I took up my first professional competition and I won Chop Canada. And uh, that was sort of the next thing that changed the trajectory of things. So my customers had enjoyed that my new space in Aaron had a little 14 seat cafe. It had a gourmet to go uh, fridge and freezer where we sold our meals. And I had an open kitchen where customers could come into our retail store and they could just chat. They could watch what I was doing. I could teach them things. We could talk about anything food related, health and wellness related, and they loved it. But what they really wanted was for me to have a full service restaurant. So when I won Chop Canada, I took the $10,000 that I won as a prize and I bought my first commercial property and uh, it was a hole in the wall it needed a ton of work. And that became my passion project for three years as we built the kitchen, new marketplace and a culinary studio to expand my junior chef programs. Jeez. Uh, that's that. And meanwhile, you were still <laughs> doing some counseling. Meanwhile, I still had my office in Toronto. So I was, you know, one day a week, I was still seeing counseling clients. As a therapist, I'm really committed to what I think of as continuity of care. And I think one of the problems in our mental health systems is that people enter into a counseling relationship, which is often complex, complicated, and requires a great deal of emotional investment. And then their therapist, you know, moves on to another job. And they have to switch therapists. And that's a really difficult challenge for many people. So I didn't want to just leave the therapy clients that I had seen over the course of years. And so, yes, I was still doing my practice. And uh, I was still in the background, really looking at this new model of therapy that I was developing with cooking and integrating certain mainstay concerns and problems that clients were coming to me for with recipes and techniques that would open up discussions in the kitchen. And, and that's something I'm really curious about. So this whole feeding connection, right? Nourishing joy, all of this, what, what does, what does say uh, a youth or for that matter, uh, the parents, if they enter the kitchen with you, what is it that they're experiencing in terms of communication connection? What do you see happening? So it began with what we call the three C's, communication, collaboration, and cooperation. And so a lot of what I'm working with them on in the kitchen are really things that professional chefs and restaurateurs do in a kitchen. Um, you have to communicate when you're running service uh, very clearly, very succinctly and loudly. And if you are not clear in your communication when you're running service in a restaurant, then people get hurt, accidents happen, meals get you know tossed because they're not done properly. And so I use some of those fundamental you know cooking skills of opening a restaurant to teach people, how to communicate with one another 
in a way that was less threatening than saying, you know, um, you're not communicating well with your spouse because of your own family history of X, Y, and Z. Um, instead, I was teaching them how to communicate instead of necessarily having to unpackage why you're not communicating. So really getting down to tangible life skills and how to do it is what they see in the kitchen. And I'll give you an example. It is. Yeah, please do. Because I'm hearing voice. I'm hearing helping people get it more embodied and be able to. Yeah. uh, So I'll give you an example. So I had a couple who were given a gift certificate for cooking class with me. It was a private one-on-one, which I do all the time. And I didn't know them from a hole in the wall. So they come in young couple, early thirties, they had just gotten married. And, um, they were, of course, in this elated state of, you know, newly wedness. And we cooked a three course meal together over two hours. And, you know, I learned more about them as a couple. I talked to them about, you know, what they were hoping for, for their marriage, what their concerns were, um, what their family background was, what kind of supports they had in their life to support what they wanted to create in their own new family. And we were making for dessert an apple pastis. And so the technique for this is that you use a cast iron pan or something very heavy and you layer apples, sliced apples in the bottom. You then pour sugar in a little bit of lemon juice and some water and you turn the heat on high. You're going to create some caramel in there. So when you're caramelizing something, you don't want to be touching it or moving it too much because it breaks your caramelization and the sugar turning into the texture that it needs to. Then we take a layer of pastry and we put it over top. So it looks like a pie. And at that point, what you need to do is flip the whole pan and you have to do it quickly because our instinct is to do it slowly But sometimes when we do something slowly, it's like ripping a Band-Aid off and it actually is more painful. So as she's getting ready to flip this pan, she's nervous and all this anxiety comes up for her. And her new husband is standing there watching her with big eyes and he's not saying much. And you can just see the interchange between them. She's wondering what he's thinking and they're getting into all this um assumptions in their own brains about what the other person's thinking and am I doing well enough and what happens if I mess this up and so we talked about that right in the moment so we call that uh you know in in cooking we call that a la minute which is in the moment in French Mm -hmm. and in therapy uh we call it menu therapy and that means you deal with anxiety when you have it Milieu therapy is don't go to a therapist a week from now and talk backwards about what caused you stress last Tuesday. Instead, work with that counselor in the moment that you're having anxiety so that you can experience the anxiety, overcome it, and then have proof and evidence in your life the next time you have anxiety that you're capable of overcoming it. So as she's worried about about flipping this uh, dessert. And I see the interchange and we're talking about that. The theme that comes up to me is commitment. What I wanted her to do from a culinary perspective with that dish was commit. (sighs) 
put your hand on the top, put your hand on the bottom, go one, two, three, and flip that sucker. <laughs> and I took that theme, which was a culinary technique that I needed her to do to be successful with the dish. And I talked about it in their relationship. So we literally, I said, this is what I need you to do to make this work. Do it. And we like counted her down and she flipped it and she faced the anxiety. And then when we plated that dish and we went out and sat together in the dining room of the restaurant and they enjoyed their meal together, that was the theme of our discussion was commitment. And what does commitment mean to you as a couple? What are you afraid of about commitment? How might this show up for each of you if it becomes a problem in your relationship? And what are you going to do about it? So we had this lovely sort of preemptive, um, preventative communication that became a plan for these two who simply came for cooking class. They had no idea what they were in for when they, they came. didn't, they didn't know they that there no would be, idea. they didn't know that it would be reflective of their lives as a couple, yeah. their inner, their inner being. They really came to cook. They came to cook. And what they ended up leaving with was a cooking experience like no other a lovely, intimate meal together in my restaurant privately, no other people there that was very memorable. And they ended up with a plan of how they were going to communicate with each other over the course of their marriage to make sure that commitment was something they both kept as a priority. Well, I, I would love that experience. It makes total sense to me. I'm in awe that, yeah. So that's just an example of how I would use it with couples. Two things though. What happened with that dish? Did it go all over the place? She committed. Oh, it was great. No, she did a fabulous job. It was beautiful. We videotaped it when she did it. So I sent it to them after oh my God. the class so that they <laughs> would have the video of that. Uh, no, it was wonderful. And it was delicious. They did a great job with caramel. It was good. All right. So I have to ask you, and this is uh, really coming from me. Uh, do you, Early on when you were doing this kind of thing, that, that was a beautiful example. And uh, I can hear, I, I can imagine a lot of people going, wow, what a, what an experience to have with your newly beloved and to get into something like commitment and food and intimacy and all of that. So, and anxiety. So absolutely hundred percent in. And have you, did you early on experience that, you know what, I need to really tell people what's going on because it's draining me to give them so much when they think they're just going to cook and I'm giving them like, 200% and they're thinking they're signing up maybe for 50% of an energetic. Did that ever, did you go through that or has that ever no. happened to you? Yeah. No, interesting. You get what you I don't get hear when you come and see me. I think because for so long, you know, I was running the restaurant, which was a destination restaurant because yeah. I was in a small rural community. So people would come from the GTA, largely Thursday, Friday, Saturdays were our big nights. That restaurant was never just a restaurant to me. It was a community hub. It was a place to feed connection. That's why where our tagline uh, evolved from. Uh, it was called Fanjoy, which is my last name. And we very purposely rebranded when I opened the restaurant because I was taking on an endeavor with the restaurant that I never planned on in my career. And it had to be purposeful for me. I originally did it really because my customers wanted it. And here I am in my 40s. I'm a brand new chef. I'm suddenly like on the ranks of a rising Canadian female chef. I've won my first Food Network competition. I've trained in France. Like I'm doing great. 
but I didn't plan any of this. This was not in my trajectory of my right. life plan. And so um, I think really when the restaurant happened, I wanted to make sure that everything about my business was about using food to nourish connections between people. Because what I know with my experience and what I think most people know now after the pandemic is that isolation kills people. Isolation fuels depression, anxiety, all sorts of stress and mental health problems. And when you're isolated, especially living in a rural community, uh, it's just a recipe for a disaster. And I wanted to be able to help those in my own small rural community protect themselves from that, especially you know during the winter months, which are often harder. And so the restaurant was a hub for connection. And it was a breeding ground for me to continue experimenting with this model of therapy. I knew it worked. I didn't know why it worked. And so I spent three years, um, whenever the restaurant wasn't open, doing culinary classes and whisking in this unique way of adding in counseling benefits with it. And then exploring, like, what is it about this that's working for people? And why are people now coming to me? You know, I hardly ever advertised. Um, People just heard about it, again, word of mouth. And I knew that it was really successful. Uh, I used it with a group of four senior citizens who had all lost their wives to cancer or stroke. And that was just a you know, off the cuff kind of referral situation from some colleagues of mine who knew what I was doing. And they couldn't find any supports for these, these clients of theirs. And so I said, well, find me a kitchen. And I'll do an eight week cooking group with them because these men had all relied on their wives of 50 plus years of marriage to cook for them. And of course, when their wives died, they were that's a big breakdown. Devastated. Yeah. They were, and they couldn't cook. So the, the fact that their nutrition was horrible was fueling their depression. And those two things just in you know, in my world, they just naturally go together, but we don't talk a lot about how our nutrition and our food intake actually impacts our mood, as well as Do we have company to be eating with or are we eating by ourselves? Now, can I ask you just, it's a real personal, I'm, you know, I'm a big supporter of what you're doing. I think we need to make sure people at the end of this interview, how to find you, if they want to donate, if they want to blah, blah, blah. I know you're in Canada and we're around the world here in terms of listeners, but I have to ask you this, this sense of purpose. I know that you got in, you were a social worker, you uh, did all kinds of incredible things. uh, practices with people, uh, you know, even as a clinic, you know, working with people one-on-one uh, before you got into the food, is there something in your childhood you think that kind of helped form this sense of drive or purpose with food? I mean, is there anything that you can find in your child that makes that really obvious or does it really something that organically came together in the, in what we've heard? Do you, yeah. What was oh, your experience? For, for sure. It's a very personal uh, purpose for me. I grew up as the youngest of five in a single parent home. And we grew up on welfare for most of my childhood uh, in subsidized housing. And 
we rarely had food on the table. And when we did, it was always very stressful because it was about there not being enough food to feed all of us. So how do we navigate who gets what? And as the youngest of five, you can well imagine, I was the last one on the totem pole. So, um, you know, from a very, very young age, I learned to make do with what was given to me and to make the most of it, which is probably part of why I won Chop Canada. I'm very resourceful. Um, and, And I think, you know, growing up on welfare and being in poverty as a child has profound impact. And for me, I am really wholeheartedly committed to youth and to making sure that youth have every opportunity that can be afforded to them and that the best of their abilities and talents are nourished irrespective of what socioeconomic status, neighborhood, family, race, um, sexual orientation, wherever they come from, children should not have their adult lives determined based on the family that they were born in or the circumstances that they're raised in. And so for me, a lot of my, well, everything about my work is around nourishing youth and giving them opportunity to thrive and to learn if they have difficulties or struggles that are not their own to own, that they learn how to rise above those and to find resources and mentors in their lives like I did that can help them get to where they need to do and break the cycle. Uh, There you go. Because your purpose is palpable. I mean, I Every part of me takes in the unity of what you're doing in your work, uh, even though there are things that elements that have not been brought together that I know of in my experience with the nourish, nourishment, the connection, community, food directly, especially with these um, that age group and beyond. I mean, that's really yeah. quite something, transitional youth. Uh, and where you are now, can you can you bring us up to where you are? You're making this move. How, mm-hmm. how much is happening in expansion for you with your business and this work? How much is, oh my God, am I getting too big? I mean, how, how clear are you? Cause I know you're, you're, you know, and you're also a restaurateur you were, and you know, are during a pandemic, but so where, where do we find you now? What kind of decisions are you making? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll say I'm crystal clear on what I'm doing, my why and where we're going. Uh, I decided during the pandemic, there were a couple of key things that happened. You know, like every other restaurateur, it has been hell. It's been really difficult. And um, in October of 2020, after getting through the summer, I created an outdoor barbecue area so that we didn't have to serve indoors, which we couldn't, but takeout, doing takeout is a whole different gig. When you're a hospitality professional, and especially given what I've shared with you, my restaurant was not about just coming and having a meal. It was about the experience of meeting your neighbor and having a conversation with someone next to you and us facilitating that connection between customers in our restaurant so to do takeout and like package things up in bags like was just killing my soul frankly and it 
um, really quickly in the fall of 2020, when we were getting ready to go into our next lockdown, I thought, I can't keep doing this. My staff were totally stressed out all the time. And I decided to apply to CEO, which is a global community of women who are working on the world's sustainable development goals and in their businesses. And uh, I became a Canadian venture. Um, so they choose a certain number of ventures each year. I won that and ended up in this amazing community of support to really pursue the passions and goals in my work that mattered to me. And the other thing that happened around the same time was that I became one of 10 Canadian companies led by women that was chosen by BMO, uh, Bank of Montreal in Canada, um, as a female entrepreneur of the year. And that awarded me $10,000. So I took that $10,000 and I decided to put my marketplace up online on an online store. And then I physically took the space of that marketplace and I expanded my kitchen and literally just moved Garmanger stations out into the marketplace. And I created a physical space with the equipment that I had largely so that the youth could still continue to come in person. Now, at that time, many people and agencies here had completely stopped all kinds of counseling programs. Uh, there were no youth activities going on. Sports had stopped. No extracurricular activities. School was online. These teens had nowhere to go for social connection. And I was hearing from parents and teens how much they were struggling. And I couldn't stand by with having the physical space and restaurant that I had in this rural community and not do anything. So I took that $10,000, I expanded the studio, got everything up online so that I could just, you know, catalog my merchandise and deliver it as it was ordered. And the teens came, they just started coming and they kept coming. And that just really reinforced for me, as well as being in these groups of supportive female entrepreneurs, just reinforced for me that what I was doing was meaningful and it was needed. And the time was now if I was going to really pivot. And so I decided that I was going to shift the entire business model, close the restaurant in January once I got my regular customers, especially our catering customers through Christmas, that in January, I was going to close the restaurant. I was going to expand the studio out into the restaurant so we could run winter programs for these kids and especially kids that were not going back to in-person schooling. And then I was going to uh, look for a property in Guelph, Ontario and move the business into a mainstream city where we could have greater impact on more youth and families. And so that's where we're at now. We, uh, I, I purchased a property in downtown Guelph and we just closed on it three weeks ago. And so we're setting up our new culinary and wellness center in Guelph. And we still have our Hillsburg location where we're serving rural youth and doing junior chef programs there. And we are um, really looking forward to 
figuring out in the next six months where our greatest impact can be and how we can be of service in this new community to revolutionize how counseling is delivered. Uh, It's a great, uh, I love hearing you speak. And to me, what I drink in is that when you said so powerfully, I know very strongly my why and where we're going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, I definitely hear the purpose and everything you say. And I, I, um, I also feel a lot of freedom in it. Uh, so, um, we're gonna, um, we're gonna just, I just have to ask you one thing. What do you do now for fun? Because, you know, (laughs) now your love, I mean, I've had this with painting. Sometimes I paint now also as part of my business. And it's like, how now do you still, do you just go into the kitchen cook or are you, are you playing the guitar? Do you know what I mean? Do you sneak moments where you're doing something else now or how does that work? I had a really, really powerful moment that people close to me know about. So I'll make this public now uh, on your podcast. I joined, I was accepted into something called a Rise Ventures program through Innovation Guelph, which is one of our regional innovation centers here for business owners to learn business skills. And in January, 2020, right before the pandemic hit, I was accepted into the first cohort of a female entrepreneur accelerator program called Rise Ventures. And we were paired with a volunteer mentor. And that volunteer mentor came to my restaurant for our first meeting. And she lived in Guelph and my restaurant was a half an hour away. She drove to my restaurant. And at the end of our conversation, she asked me one question. And that question also impacted me tremendously. And the question was, what brings you joy? Mm. Wow. Yep. And I didn't know how to answer that. Yeah. I had become so consumed with 80-hour work weeks, with building a restaurant and a small business and a social enterprise and taking care of my staff, taking care of my customers, doing what I had to do every week to just keep the wheels turning on this business that I had started, uh, which really was kind of five businesses in one because we had a catering division. We had the marketplace, which was retail We had the restaurant. I had my junior chef programs, which was my passion. You know, I really was running five businesses in one and it was consuming for five years. And so when I didn't know how to answer that question that my mentor asked me, it bugged me because I'm not a woman that anyone would say is short on words. And she (laughs) silenced me. She absolutely silenced me because I didn't know how to answer the question. And I really spent a year of the pandemic thinking very deeply and wrestling with that. And what I did, what I had to realize first was what didn't bring me joy that I was doing. And the restaurant was not bringing me joy outside of feeding connection between people. Right. And so that was part of my decision to close a restaurant was that, um, you know, while my customers loved it, it was not profitable, first of all, in the pandemic anymore. 
And it really wasn't what brought me joy. What really brings me joy is working with youth and families and helping people see their own capacity to actually change and to create the kind of life that they want that gives them more joy. That's really, that's my life's purpose. It always has been. I recently, while I was packing up from Hillsburg to move to Guelph, I, I found a poem that I wrote and did in calligraphy uh, in an old box. I was 10 years old. It's dated. Mm. And it was my purpose in life is what I called it. And, you know, I don't think there was any coincidence that I found that in the midst of my own journey of figuring this out and figuring out, you know, why it's important and why it evolves and changes at different points in your life journey. What my purpose was when I was 20 and started the first community garden in Ontario what my purpose was when I was 40 and raising an adolescent daughter and opening the restaurant to build community in my rural community that I lived in. And what my purpose is now in my fifties um, is all the same, but how you do it can change and evolve. And I think that's been part of my lesson during the pandemic. So I don't know if that answered your question. I think I digressed a little bit. Julie. Oh, no, that's so I think we should stop there. I think it's uh, helpful for everybody. Um, how do we nurture, uh, sustain, keep connected ourselves? Um, yeah. And so what, it does take a while. I heard you say you were deeply with that space for a year. It's not yeah. an instant. It's not an instant thing when we really see, yeah, wow, yeah. that's something I loved, but it's actually not bringing me joy. Now, right? Yeah. And what so your question was what brings you joy? What brings me joy now? Photography. I've always been a bit of an amateur photographer. I love drumming. Uh, so I'm hoping now that I'm in Guelph in a larger community to find a drum circle. I love live music. We always had that Friday and Saturday nights in the restaurant, and that brings me a lot of joy. And uh, am writing. So I've really realized during the pandemic that I actually am a creative. And I don't know now that I know that how I didn't know that for all these years. Because when I look back in my life, like I've been creating things my entire life, whether it's being resourceful and making something out of what I have, or whether I'm creating something on a plate with my cooking, or whether I'm building something. Um, I've always been a creative, but I didn't realize that until life slowed down during the pandemic and I had time to be still and think um, and just be still like you back to sort of our original part of our discussion when I said, you know, when your brain is in panic mode or when you're under stress, which a lot of entrepreneurs are chronically, you aren't still enough to allow creativity to flow with ease and the pandemic afforded me the ability to get still and I think that brings me joy now I'm with you thank you Pam fan joy for this conversation we're going to put um, all your offerings and things in the liner notes below I think you're very reachable your website's quite good uh, in terms of all your offerings is there anything else 
uh, you want to throw in here before we sign off or, or are we good? No, absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me, Julie. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Uh, till next time. Ciao. Ciao. Well, that's today's podcast of Creative at the Wheel. Before we go, I want to invite you to check out my ongoing Friday gathering, online gathering, The Creative Cure, where for 75 minutes each Friday, we follow our intuition and play with pen, paper, paint, whatever creative materials you have on hand as a way of coming back into alignment with life and the moment fully expressed. It's very healing and a whole lot of fun. You can also learn more about my one-on-one coaching on my website, paintbiglivebig.com.